0: Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Marshall Poe, your host. Each week, we pick a new history book that we find particularly interesting, and we interview the author of that book. This week, I'm happy to say we have Johannin Petrovsky Stern back on the show, and we'll be talking about his really interesting new book, The Anti Imperial. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in History. I'm Marshall Poe, your host. Each week, we pick a new history book that we find particularly interesting, and we interview the author of that book. This week, I'm happy to say we have Johanan Petrovsky Stern back on the show, and we'll be talking about his really interesting new book, The Anti-Imperial Choice, The Making of the Ukrainian Jew. Many of the people who listen to this show are probably familiar with a fellow named Robert Zimmerman, but you know him under a different name. He is, of course, Bob Dylan. Bob Dylan made a very unusual choice when he decided to follow, of all people, Woody Guthrie and become a folk singer. This was not the normal thing for a bright Jewish boy from the American upper Midwest to do. Doctor, lawyer, professor was probably more common. Why did he do this? It's a very interesting question. Uh, Johannin in this book, takes up a similar sort of query as it relates to uh, Eastern Europe and particularly Ukraine. Uh, he's discovered a series of Jews in the Pale of Settlement who, instead of adopting the imperial culture—that is, the majority culture, say Russian-speaking or German—adopted Ukrainian culture and took it as a cause of their own. And some of them became great Ukrainian poets. Sort of a tradition that Johann has discovered, and and one that sheds light not only on the Russian Empire and the Jewish experience, but Ukrainian experience as well. So this is our first foray into Ukrainian history, and I hope that it won't be our last. I should also say that this is our 100th show, and I'd like to thank all of you for listening uh, I think it's been successful I've heard from a lot of you and I've tried to take your comments about the show under advisement and even implement some of them and please keep those comments coming I'd also like to thank a bunch of you for becoming fans of the show on Facebook that helps very much because I need a measure of some sort to show my bosses here at the University of Iowa that people are listening to the show and also track statistics about who listens. And I know that there are literally tens of thousands of people now, I think, who listen to the show all over the world. So thank you all for tuning in, if tuning in is what you do on the internet. So without further ado, let me present the interview with Johann petrovsky Stern. Hi, Johannin. Hi, Marshall. How are you today?
1: Um, it's it's wonderful. It's it's c- clear, uh, sunny, uh, and very chilly. That's Windy great. city, no, as you know. Yes,
0: the Windy City is right. No, here in Iowa, it's about the same thing, but it's very sunny and very nice. I should tell our uh, listeners that we have Johan and Petrovsky Stern on the show today, and I'm very happy about that. We'll be talking about his new book, The Anti-Imperial Choice. The Making of the Ukrainian Jew. Uh, as I told Johannin in the pre-interview, this is my 100th show, and I'm very pleased about that. And I wanted to have a special guest on, somebody who I knew would do a great job, and so I picked Johannin. And uh, so, Johannin, uh, I'm very, very pleased that you're on the show. Maybe you could begin uh, the show by uh, telling us a, a little bit about yourself and how you came to write the book.
1: Uh, first, uh, Marshall, uh, let me uh, congratulate you um, on uh, your 100th show. Um, Thank I you. am um I'm a fan of yours, and I uh, listen to many interviews, not to all of them. I'm guilty, I know, but uh, at least to uh, some of the best ones. And out of this 100, I believe I've heard about 60, and they are, <laughs> That's amazing. They are really very helpful, and uh, they... Um, open my eyes to the questions I've never asked oh, and to the themes you. I've never thought about. Sure. Uh, so um, I, I thank you for that and I think that you're doing really great job and thank you for um, uh, for picking me up. Uh, I, I'm privileged and honored to be with you on your 100th show. Absolutely, my pleasure. Now, as far as, as my life story is concerned, you know, um, when uh, people uh, write books, uh, when he or she writes a new book, uh, and they are asked, "How did you come uh, to write this book?" Uh, people usually invent their life stories, so their, their life stories will match exactly uh, the uh, topic of the book. Uh, the problem is is that uh, if a person writes, if the same person writes another book there will be a different life story. <laughs> so let me let me let me use this trick and and tell you that um I believe um I can invent um another uh, life story um, of mine that would uh, fit well in uh the description of uh, the anti imperial choice. Now, um as you know, um, I am uh, born in uh, Kyiv uh, in the Soviet Union um, uh, in the times memorial, in the previous millennium in the previous <laughs> century um, and uh, I cannot say that I was either a Ukrainian or a Jew. Um, it would be uh, wrong to call me a Ukrainian Jew. Um, why so? Because um, I was born into a very much assimilated russian-speaking family uh... with some uh... Very mild um, uh, Jewish concerns, and uh, certainly with no interests, uh, with no interest in 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 things Jewish. Um, I knew that um, you know I go to um, a school in Ukraine. Uh, I hear people around sometimes speaking the Ukrainian language, but it never occurred uh, that uh, I would discover the Ukrainian culture. It came very late to me in my life that I realized that uh, Ukrainian culture is important, it's vibrant, it's interesting, and it is suffering from a an enforced um, state-orchestrated russification. Mm-hmm. And this discovery is exactly what opened my eyes uh, toward Ukrainian culture and made me think big about where was I at that particular time. Mm-hmm.
0: And uh, how how did uh, you get from there? You sort of discovered there is a Ukrainian culture to writing a book about uh, people uh, who were born into the Jewish faith and then came to adopt Ukraine as uh, their own. I guess the right way to put it is cause.
1: Uh, let me let me tell you this. Um, I believe. We know from um, history that Jews who live in Europe at the end of the 19th, early 20th century usually integrate the majority, uh, the upper class, uh, the uh, imperial culture, mm-hmm. uh, be it French, German, or Russian. Um, Kafka lives in Prague and dreams of his readers in Berlin and writes in the German language. Vasily Grossman uh, is born in Berdichev, um, but he dreams of his Russian readers and becomes the Russian language writer. Mm -hmm. Um, You do not have uh, that many Jews who live together with Kafka, uh, next to Kafka, in Prague and integrate, let's say, Czech culture. Mm -hmm or uh, Jews who are there in Ukraine and who integrate the Ukrainian culture. Why Mm -hmm. so? Because um, at the end of the 19th, early 20th century, uh, the stateless cultures are considered uh, backward, peasant-based, third-rank, colonial, not interesting, um, and uh, quite usually uh, Mm anti-Semitic. What do you do with that? Mm Why would you want to integrate this kind of culture? Mm-hmm. That's exactly the question, one of the questions that I'm asking in the book, and um, oh, then there is a story uh, to how I came to write this book. Um, one of my um, colleagues uh, asked me to write a uh, an essay on oh, a Jewish writer, poet who writes in the Ukrainian language today. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a, an article about Moisei Fishbane uh, to, uh, to who I uh, devoted the last chapter in my book, mm-hmm. who is an extraordinary Ukrainian poet. He lives today in Kiev. Um, and uh, I wrote an essay about him and realized that I am dealing with somebody who represents uh, the pinnacle of an iceberg. Mm-hmm. I'm dealing with a person who certainly represents some sort of a tradition or some sort of, of a trend within the Ukrainian culture that we know nothing about. Mm-hmm. How come that this uh, person, Musefish Bain, who is born in Chernovitz, in Triniti, uh to a Yiddish and Russian speaking family, becomes one of the major Ukrainian poets of the late 20th, early 21st century. And once I asked myself this question, I decided to look back and uh, I tried to find out whether there are other people who did the same. Mm-hmm. And I discovered not one, not two, not three, but many of uh, the uh, uh, intellectuals, mm-hmm. literati, writers, poets, um, uh, literary critics, uh, musicians, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, who decided to integrate the Ukrainian culture. Mm-hmm.
0: And this is why the book is called The Anti-Imperial Choice, because they don't integrate into the Russian culture, or in the case of Kafka, the German culture. They integrate into a minority culture, and, and what is more a minority culture that was uh, oppressed at the end of the 19th century, and actually was, has been oppressed since the uh, liberation of Ukraine in, in 91. So well, why don't we begin actually talking about uh, one of these very interesting characters, the very first one you talk about, um, a certain kerner who is uh who becomes knerenko
1: go ahead right. uh right um the case of uh, Grigori kerner um, is uh, is a very interesting case uh when i came across Um, uh, this case, I realize I'm dealing with the beginning of the tradition uh, that I'm trying to reconstruct or discover or invent uh, choose uh, (laughs) any of these verbs Um, um, why is it so important to talk about him. He is not uh, a uh, writer-poet uh, in the Ukrainian language of primary importance. He is not even the second-ranked uh, uh, writer-poet. But uh, he is a very interesting case. Um, he is born in uh, Gulaipole to a uh, very affluent uh, Jewish family, really the upper-class bourgeoisie. Uh, he goes to study uh, agriculture and uh, engineering in Munich, and when he comes back he says, Well, I don't want to be uh, a bourgeois Grigory Kerner. I would like to be a Ukrainian poet Risko Kernerenko. <laughs> and you know, this is this is extraordinary. Why yeah. why would you like to do why would you want to do that? Um now not only he does that, um we have to... Uh, we need to understand the context in, we, in which he is emerging as Ritschko or kernarenko And the context is certainly not favorable to anything no, uh, Ukrainian. No, not at all. Uh, you know, um, at that particular time, uh, the um, uh, Uh, leading uh, Ukrainian philanthropist who uh, uh, sponsors the revival of Ukrainian culture um, in the um, early years of the 20th century, Yevhenczyk Kalenko says that there were seven Ukrainian-speaking families in Kiev, (laughs) in what today is the capital of Ukraine. Um, And and we are talking about um, Kernarenko discovering himself as Hrytsko. Kernarenko 30 years before that time mm-hmm. so in the in the um, in the 1870s 1880s mm-hmm. um at that particular time uh the ukrainian language um as we know is banished from all spheres of public life after the Anse decree and valuyev decree mm-hmm uh the ukrainian uh teachers cannot teach um uh, in the ukrainian language at uh, um, at the elementary schools um, uh ukrainian uh, orthodox christians cannot Hear the sermons uh, by the priests in the Ukrainian language, mm-hmm. because language is is forbidden um, uh, to be used um, even in the sermons, uh, let alone uh, in the, um, the publications, um, uh, journals, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. It is in this context that Karnerenko is saying, "I would like to become the Ukrainian poet." Mm-hmm. He um, uh, starts writing Ukrainian poetry and Ukrainian prose narrative. Uh, the Ukrainian writers and poets discover him. Um, he writes uh, a letter presenting himself to Ivan Franko, who is seen today as one of the founders of modern Ukrainian literature. Franko says, Wow, we have here uh, um, a person who wants to be one of us. Uh, Franko at that time is not in uh, uh, the Ukraine proper. He is in uh, the um, Ukrainian territory which is under Austro-Hungarian Empire at the time um, uh, in in Galicia Mm -hmm. uh, where he uh, creates um, a number of venues for the development of uh, uh, Ukrainian culture including his major journal in which he starts publishing uh, the poetry, uh, post-narrative, and translations of uh, Hrytsko Kramerenko. So um, now Renev is not only the person who wants to um, create his uh, Ukrainian self, he is also very critical about what Ukraine is um, um, at that particular time. He um, understands that he is dealing with a culture that has uh, anti-Jewish bias, Mm -hmm. he is dealing with people who are not really eager to embrace him, but he wants to be a Ukrainian poet. What do you do with that? And He writes... uh, um, uh, a very moving poetry um, in which he uses uh, the patterns, uh, the style, the imagery, and metaphors of Heinrich Heine, another poet of dual identity, German-Jewish in this case, mm-hmm. um, in order to convey his feelings um, and his understanding of his own uh, Kyrnarengo's encounter with uh, the contemporary Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And he writes, "Proshai Ukraina Тебе я кинуть мушу, хоча до тебе я віддав життя і волю і душу, але я пасинок тобі, на жаль, це добре знаю, і проміж других дітей твоїх я не живу, страждаю. Не сила знести вже мені глумлінтих понад міру за те, що я і твої сини не одну маєм віру. Тебе ж Україна моя, я буду вік кохати, бо ти хоч мачуха мені, а все ж ти мені мат. Let me briefly translate uh, what, what he's uh, saying here. Fare thee well, my Ukraine. I need to leave you. Thou you, I have sacrificed my life and freedom and soul. But I'm your stepson, and I know this only too well. Among you other children, I live not, but I suffer. I cannot any more tolerate the mockery of the fact that your sons and I are of different faiths. Yet you, my Ukraine, I will love forever. Only you treat me as a stepson. Still you are my mom. Mm-hmm. This is a very moving uh, uh, poetry, and it is uh, it is wonderfully uh, uh, articulated in Ukrainian. Mm-hmm. Um, what amazes me in this poem is that it is certainly about his desire to be part of the Ukrainian milieu, the Ukrainian culture, mm-hmm. his desire to present himself as a Ukrainian poet, his desire to feel that Ukraine is uh, his mom. Mm -hmm. This is a very important metaphor that uh, comes comes from uh, the times of Shevchenko to uh, nowadays uh, Ukrainian poetry, Mm -hmm. the image of Ukraine as the mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, he understands there are problems with his desire to integrate this culture because, uh, you know, he belongs to a different faith. He uh, he's not becoming a Russian Orthodox uh, in order to become the Ukrainian. He still wants to be accepted as a Jew, and that creates a major problem. And he discusses uh, this grappling with his dual Ukrainian Jewish identity in this poem. Mm-hmm. That makes him, I believe. Uh, they're unique uh, among those who are seeking um, the integration into a different culture, in this case, into uh, a colonial, stateless, Ukrainian, anti-Semitic uh, culture, or at least as a culture that is perceived as uh, this type of culture by his contemporaries, certainly by his Jewish contemporaries.
0: Mm-hmm. But he still has a foot in both worlds, as you uh, say. Uh, he's involved in uh, the Ukrainian discovery of Shalom Aleichem, isn't he?
1: Right. Um, uh, That's um, another um, interesting aspect of of, uh, what he does. Uh, We might think that um, uh, my characters, uh, the people who I describe in the book, um, are integrating Ukrainian culture and dissolving themselves in the Ukrainian culture. This is not happening. Uh, Kernerenko as well as Raisa Trojanker, Leonid Parvomaysky, Moisey Fischbein, and others, um, they um convey the Jewish concerns in the Ukrainian language and they um infuse the Ukrainian poetry and prose narrative with the Jewish imagery, Jewish metaphors, uh, um and uh, very important Jewish cultural references. Um in uh, in this particular case, in case of Hrytsko Karnarenko, um at certain point uh he uh becomes a medium through which uh, Ivan Franko discovers the Yiddish um, oh, the the Jewish literature. Uh, Franco asks Kernewenko in one of his letters, "Who is this uh, uh, Sholem Aleichem?" And uh, <laughs> right, right, which is a legitimate question for a Ukrainian-speaking person in 1899, mm-hmm. right? And Kernewenko uh, explains, "This is uh, the uh, best-known uh, writer in uh, the jargon, as Yiddish is called at that particular yeah. time." Um, and um, Franco says, "Well, if this is such an important writer, let's have him translate it." So so, translates uh, pieces from Shalom Aleichem into Ukrainian, which are then published um, in uh, Franco's journal. He does the same uh, with the uh, Russian language poet, um, uh, Simeon Frug, who is at that time uh, perhaps uh, one of the uh, most um, uh, well-known Russian-Jewish poets. Mm -hmm. He translates translates Frug into into the Ukrainian language, um, and uh, his translations are published uh, again in the Ukrainian uh, journals. So he is uh, a bridge between cultures, and he uh, also uh, makes uh, uh, Russian, Jewish, and uh, Yiddish um, culture visible uh, for the Ukrainian readers. Moreover, he is taking pieces of um, Jewish religious tradition and infusing his um, Ukrainian poetry uh, with uh, the elements of Jewish culture. He writes Ukrainian poetry about uh, Jewish Messianism. Um, he writes Ukrainian poet, uh, poetry about uh, the um, events in Jewish social life um he has a major poem about um the cancellation of the um uh, Jewish privilege uh, to sell uh, and produce alcohol uh he says how important it is for the Jews not to do that anymore uh nobody will call Jews uh um, um the people who make Russian and Ukrainian peasant drunk mm-hmm. uh so he is really um in the, for- at the forefront of the um um, uh, of, of pondering the uh, experience of Jews in East Europe and the encounter with uh, the Slavic cultures,
0: and all and all in the Ukrainian language. That's that's pretty incredible. How how is um, uh, Kidanenko remembered today? Is he remembered by the Ukrainian literati?
1: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I was fascinated to discover that um, uh, there are dollars of, um, uh, local histories, um, in, uh, central Ukraine that rediscovered uh, uh wrote um, articles about him. Uh, you would find uh, a major newspaper in Zaporozhye or in Dnipropetrovsk or in Poltava, that have articles about um, um, Kernarenko and that celebrate his uh, uh, firm stance on uh, the issues of Ukrainian revivalism. Hmm. Uh, these people are saying, look, we live still in this uh, uh, milieu uh, which is russified, uh, which uh, votes for Yanukovych, uh, which um, uh, looks uh, at Kremlin as uh, the redeemer, and uh, so on and so forth. But here you have a Jew who, in the, uh, at the end of the 19th century, says um, Ukrainian culture is, uh, is a very important self-contained um, phenomenon. Mm-hmm. And uh, we should... Help it uh, to be more visible. We should we should develop it. We should uh, integrate uh, uh, this culture, and we should certainly invest our mm. heart and nerve and sinew into it.
0: Mm. That's that's fascinating. Let's let's actually move on to uh, the next author you deal with, uh, a, a certain uh, Ivan Hulik. Um He's a quite a he's a he's quite a different character, but every bit is unique.
1: Right. Uh, Kulik is, is a unique character among the unique characters. And unlike Kirnarenko, uh, who is certainly um, um, a person um, uh, who supports uh, and who promotes Ukrainian revivalism, Kulik uh, supports and promotes uh, what people called in the mid-1920s uh, the national communism. And uh, uh, by the national communism, in Kulik case, I mean the encounter of uh, two utopias. Uh, one, Ukrainian-centered utopia of the Slavic cultures, and another is uh, the international um, uh, proletarian revolution of uh, Bukharin's type. Let me explain to you very briefly how Kulik came to the discovery of uh, this kind of national communism, because you know his itinerary is uh, is uh, um, a uh, very interesting. Yeah, he makes
0: he makes uh, his way around.
1: <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, he traveled a lot before he um, found out how to put these things together. Uh, he's born to a Yiddish and Russian-speaking family in Shpola, uh, which is in uh, in the Ukraine. Uh, then uh, when he's two, or three years old. His family moves to Uman. Uh, which, as we know, is a major uh, attraction for Hasidim, uh, for the spious Jews uh, from all over the world. Um, in Uman, his father works as uh, as a melamed in Talmud Torah, which is uh, a teacher in uh, an elementary Jewish school. Kulik is not interested in anything Jewish. He is interested in uh, um, his encounters with uh, Ukrainian uh, village dwellers who come to the local parks uh... to play uh... cossacks uh... bandits robbers smugglers <laughs> and he plays with them now where where do they play? they play um, on the territory of the famous uh, Sofiyythka park uh, Sofiyythka park is an english style park with cataracts uh, grottos, um, um, uh, woods um, statues of uh, greek uh, gods and goddesses um, Rotundas and so on and so forth. This is the park uh, established um, uh, by the Count Potocki in the uh, early years of the 19th century. It's it's a it's a beautiful park. Um, So Kulik uh, is playing the Cossacks with his Ukrainian uh, fellows uh, out there, and from them, uh, he picks his Ukrainian language. And he writes uh, a moving poetry uh, later in his life uh, about his encounter with the um, uh, rural-based Ukraine uh, in this Sofipika park. Uh, Then he discovers that his brother is arrested. His brother becomes a Marxist. He is... um, uh, involved with revolutionary circles in Oman he is taken to prison and somebody needs to take letters from the prison to uh the fellows of his brother who are in the um underground. And Kulik, who is uh, seven or eight years old, uh, does exactly this. He becomes a, a mailman, a revolutionary mailman. <laughs> right. So this is his first encounter with... That's quite an, uh, with, that's, that's uh,
0: quite an image, with, revolutionary with, mailman. That is
1: uh, Yeah, revolutionary mailman, uh, yeah. exactly. Now, uh, at the same time, um, he discovers that he is very much interested in, in the Ukraine culture. Now, perhaps you know about this famous expedition by... Uh, um uh, Shlomo Anski to the Pale settlement. Uh, Shlomo Ansky is a Yiddish writer and Russian writer and he is um an ethnographer um, um and and he um organizes um an, an expedition um uh, to the Pale settlement uh that uh collect the artifacts of uh, uh, Jewish life, uh, Jewish uh, pictures, Jewish stories, uh, Jewish folklore, and so on and so forth. Uh, this expedition uh, took place between 1911 and 1913, and I'm telling you this because it is an important backdrop to my story. Kulik most likely knows about this expedition, or he heard that there are people who are interested in the material culture of the Jewish world. Now, he lives in the center of the Jewish world, but he's not interested in things Jewish. He goes to the nearby villages around Uman, and he uh, puts on paper kolatki, shidrivki, and other uh, genres of of the Ukrainian folklore. He uh, is interested in um, the design of Ukrainian pysanky, which is uh, this um, Easter eggs mm-hmm. uh, that are painted very beautifully uh, mm-hmm. before Easter. I- I'm sure you- you've seen them. Oh yes, seen no, I've seen as... them.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Right. So he he is um, uh, he's copying the designs of this pysanky, and and uh, later he uh, when he is about 13 years old, he is. Um, uh, he is co-authored by the local Uman um, branch of the Society for the Preservation of Monuments, and he makes a, a presentation there about the Ukrainian folklore, about the material culture um, of the nearby villages, mm-hmm. uh, emphasizing uh, the importance of the study of Ukrainian folklore. So it is fascinating that uh, when Jews uh, of um, uh, his... Um, Type of origins are interested in the material culture of the shtetl, He is interested in the material culture of the Ukrainian village.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, now he certainly cannot make both ends meet um, in uh, uh, Uman. He goes to study painting in Odessa. He cannot pay for his painting, for his for his studies. He has no money. He decides to leave um, uh, the old the, the the old world for good and he moves to the United States. In the United States, he is cheated by his Jewish relatives, he runs away, and he becomes a minor in Pennsylvania. Uh-huh. Now, uh, when he is in Pennsylvania, um, uh, he is looking for a milieu to uh, to be integrated by, and, and uh, he discovers uh, Nikolai Bukharin, who is at the time um, editing... Uh, the uh, Novy Mir, the New World Journal, um, in uh, excuse me, newspaper, not a journal. Yeah. Nikolai uh, yeah. Bukharin, who is at that time editing uh, the uh, Novy Mir newspaper, which is a Russian socialist market newspaper in New York. Kulik starts writing um, uh, journalistic articles uh, for this newspaper, and uh, his encounter with Bukharin galvanizes him because he realizes there is such a thing as the international proletarian revolution that will come to redeem the world from oppression, that which will come to redeem the oppressed proletarians all over the world, Um, and he he is so much uh, galvanized by Bukharin that when they both learned about the um, uh, February Revolution uh, in um, in Russia. They leave New York, and they go uh, through the United States, through Yokohama, to Vladivostok, from Vladivostok to Moscow, to be the participants of this new Russian Revolution. Bukharin stay, uh, remains in Moscow, Kulik, wants to, uh, Kulik goes to Ukraine, and in Ukraine... He is, um, pointed, or I would say, he is elected. By the Red Cossacks to be the first commissar of the Red Cossack unit in ukraine, mm-hmm. then there is another episode um uh, uh, in his uh, life story the uh, his uh, participation in the civil in the in the uh, civil war um his arrest his imprisonment he spends uh, about a year in polish prison um uh, he is redeemed by the Bolsheviks from the prison, but when he's in prison, he writes his first book and his first book ever written is the book of the Ukrainian verse, mm-hmm. which brings together the Ukrainian folklore. It's called um, Kolomaiki. is is a typical genre of uh, Ukrainian Christmas folklore. So it is this kind of the uh, genre imbued with the revolutionary imagery of Ukrainian Cossacks, of uh, Ukrainian uh, proletarians uh, fighting for the liberation of the people of the world. Um, So it brings together the international and the Ukrainian folklore. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In in a a very cohesive, coherent, and compelling way, it is really an interesting Ukrainian poetry, quite uh, um, experimental and and quite compelling. Mm -hmm. Um, Then, colleague uh finds himself again overseas. He is sent as the consul of the Ukrainian trade, trade mission to Montreal. Mm-hmm. Now, if you are a Soviet bureaucrat in the West, so far in the West, in Canada, what do you do? Well, you can do many things, right? You can be a spy. You can be. Uh, you can enjoy your life. Uh, uh, you can uh, talk to uh, uh, to the Canadians about the importance of the uh, Ukrainian revivalism and Ukrainian communism. Kolyg does not do that. Kolik is much more interested in educating the Ukrainian diaspora. He goes to Halifax. He goes to uh, Ottawa. He goes to uh, Winnipeg. He goes to uh, Alberta. He goes to all different places to give lectures about Ukraine. He... Establishes uh, links with the local Ukrainian choir. Uh, he helps put on stage Ukrainian plays. Um, he writes uh, about Ukraine to local socialist Ukrainian uh, newspapers, uh, uh, most importantly to the newspaper, Ukrainian Labor News. Uh, two weeks ago, I was in Winnipeg and I gave a lecture about Kulik. Uh, to about 45, 50 uh, unrepentant Marxists who came together. <laughs> I, to, I wondered where they all had gone. <laughs> I guess it's uh, well, it's, it's a very interesting world. Um, uh, and, and I gave this lecture in the Ukrainian labor temple, yeah. built in 1921, exactly in the temple where Kulik gave his lecture oh, wow. in 1925. That's amazing. Okay? Now, Why Kulik um, is doing that? Because he's absolutely confident that if there is any kind of liberation that comes to the world, it will come from Ukraine and through Ukraine. If there is um, any kind of uh, um, the revolution in the world, it can be only the international revolution centered in Ukraine. Uh, Let me give you some sense of what he's writing um, after he... um, Uh, spends uh, almost two years in Canada. Um, Hey, my fertile Alberta, Mahno will come for you. (laughs) Whatever you do, but you will rise renewed. Hi, my British Columbia, your forests and marshes will soon learn the jokes of the Volinia guerrilla. Hi, my pedantic Halifax, the port of the future, glory in progress. You think it is simple? Wouldn't you like as it was in Odessa? and so on and so forth and and he finishes his uh, his uh, l- l- long poem and even you my yukon will never hide under the snows for in the nearest days you will redden as a new donbass and yours ottawa the capital a proud house of commons will be ardently ruled by the All Canadian Soviet Commissariat. Mm.
0: People, people okay. all over, people all over Canada are loving you right now. I'm telling you, <laughs> <laughs> right, Go
1: right, right. Um, You know, um, in Winnipeg, uh, I was driving uh, through the um, uh, narrow streets uh, that have uh, wooden houses built in the 1910s and 1920s by the Ukrainian emigres, mm-hmm. um, and uh, some of those uh, houses would have posters. Put profit. Aside, vote for communists. Wow! Yeah, those, and you're yeah. driving there. And you're thinking, <laughs> well, am I in? Yeah. Is this January century, 2010? Yeah, right. But. Um, this is what Kulik is about, and he is um, he's a true believer. He is uh, not one of these uh, you know, Soviet bureaucrats who are uh, using the Marxist or uh, the uh, National Revivalist ideology uh, to move along um, and to, to, uh, to have a great career. No, he's really a believer, and he is writing about his things in prose poetry. He has about seven books of, of poetry, about four books of prose narrative. Uh, enormous amount of uh, excellent journalistic articles. And what is very important for him in Canada at that particular time, he discovers his uh, double. He discovers in Canada a person with who he wants to identify himself. And this discovery comes as a revelation. Um, Now, um, who is this person? Uh, Perhaps you know that... um, about the um, 1860s in Canada there were two uh, rebellions uh, of the uh, uh, Métis um, Indians uh, who were trying to fight against uh, the British imperialism Mm -hmm. now these rebellions were led by a person whose name was uh, Louis Riel who could have become a priest or a lawyer, and who decided, who was who was what, by the way, and who decided that he would join the um, uh, rebellious movement of the uh, local Indians in Manitoba. And he did exactly that. Moreover, he was elected by the Indians as the, uh, the representative and as the leader of the movement. Hmm. So you have uh, a person who comes from the majority culture and says, well... I would like to do things for the Indians. This is my anti-imperial choice. Mm-hmm. He is later arrested uh, and he is found guilty of state treason and he's is uh, hanged. So oh, only later, at the beginning of the 20th century, Canadians made him into a national hero. What is important for Kulik, and I believe he knows about that, Uh, Louis Riel does not call himself Louis Riel. He says, I would be Louis David Riel. Why does he need the name David? Because he says, I will be for these Indians what King David had been Mm -hmm. for the Jews in the land of Israel. Mm -hmm. I will help them create their own state. I will help them them uh, build them a kingdom. Yes, exactly. So um uh, Louis Riel is uh, this kind of character that uh Ivan Kulik recognizes as his um as, as his double and click writes extensively about uh, uh, Riel conveying he, the idea of uh, uh, the anti imperial rebellion the anti imperial choice the importance of helping the oppressed uh, the persecuted the marginalized marginalized cultures uh, uh, to find their own self and to struggle for their own. Political, cultural, social independence.
0: Mm-hmm. So Kulik, uh, when he comes back from uh, Canada, he's trade representative for a while. He comes back, and uh, since he is a, a, a national communist, he does well uh, when national communism is à uh, la mode. But by the 1930s, it's not à la mode anymore, and he runs afoul of the uh, of the uh, of, of the Stalinist by this time apparatus. Why don't you tell that story?
1: Um. Kulik um, is doing very well um, in the 1920s, as you mentioned, Marshall, and uh, in the early 1930s, uh, to the extent that uh, when um, in the Soviet Union they create this umbrella organizations for writers and poets, uh, which would be called later the Union of the Soviet Socialist Writers, Kulik, um, uh, together with uh, Ivan Mikitenko, uh becomes uh, the head of the Ukrainian. Of union of Writers. Uh, just think about it. The person who is born as uh, Israel Yudovich Kulik, who becomes Ivan it. Kulik, now is the head of the Ukrainian Union of Writers. Um, that's that's something. it is. You know, it is the story that that, that we can spend some time um, on um, uh, at another occasion. But but I believe it's it, it's 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 not a trivial case. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kulik uh, writes his um major poem uh, which is called Chorna epopeya uh the black epic uh, poetry uh, which he infuses with uh afro-american tunes uh, uh genre um uh, melodies uh, he is perhaps the first Ukrainian writer to um uh, use the, uh, rhythms and, and medical system of the Afro-American poetry and also of the, um, poetry of such writers as Edgar Lee Masters and, um, and certainly Walt Whitman. Um, we need also to, uh, uh, think about, uh, Kulik's attempts to make the world literature visible in Ukrainian. Um, he puts together Uh, what became the first anthology of the American poetry in the Ukrainian language. It's a 300, maybe 400 page long uh, anthology of the American poetry from Walt Whitman to uh, the uh, 1920s um, which Kalik put together and translated into the Ukrainian language. It was published in 1927 uh, in Ukraine. Uh, Nothing like that has been published in Ukraine uh, since then, by the way. the 1930s um, is uh, um, a very difficult time for him. Uh, he is trying to find himself in the situation where people who he was very close with, such as Skripnik, such as Krividovi, have committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh, the moment when they realized that um, the encounter of national uh, revivalism with uh, leftist communism is no more possible tries to adapt uh, new values and adopt himself to these new values, he's not very successful. He's extremely influential in the 1930s. He is the head of Part uh the uh, party uh, um, publishing house, the most important publishing house in Ukraine at the time. Um, he is uh, the head of the Union of Writers. He is widely published, uh, but he, the quality of his poetry in the mid-1930s uh, cannot be compared to what he does in the 1920s. Um, uh, the NKVD comes for him um in 1937 uh he is arrested accused of uh, uh spying um against uh, the soviet ukraine uh the accusation says that he wanted to um bring uh such emigre figures as venichenko uh, to ukraine in order to uh so to say uh Turn back the course of history and uh, prevent Ukraine from becoming socialist. Mm-hmm. Um, he's shot immediately the after. Uh, and his wife is also arrested and shot exactly at that time. Mm -hmm. For 20 years, his name is erased from Ukrainian literature, and only in the late 1960s, early 1970s, um, he slowly but steadily comes back. Mm -hmm. Still, his uh, three-volume collected writings that were put together uh, in the early 1970s uh, are sitting in the um, archive in Ukraine collecting dust, um, and uh, he still awaits uh, for another rediscovery. Mm-hmm. I see.
0: Johanan, tell me about Raisa Triankar.
1: Raisa Triankar is um, another um, person who was um, rediscovered recently by uh, postmodern modern uh, and uh, feministic-minded scholars, literary critics, uh, reading public in Ukraine. Um, she wrote just two books of Ukrainian verse in the 1920s. But um, among the unusual uh, men that I'm discussing in the book, she's a very, very unusual woman. Um, also born in woman to a Russian and yiddish speaking family. Um, also uh, w- w- grew up as a person who rejected her uh, Judaic beliefs and, and uh, the shtetl-esque environment. Um, Oh, oh. fell in love with a number of Ukrainian poets and decided that she will emancipate her colonized uh, Jewish self uh, through her erotic encounters with Ukrainian literati. No, well, it's no, a very no, interesting way no, by, of no. uh, emancipating. Right, you so herself.
0: by encounters you mean that, um, to put it in plain style English, she was having sex with these people
1: yes <laughs> yes okay yeah just uh
0: you know i'm, I'm from let the Midwest, me let me put it this we need things put very directly yeah
1: right uh, uh let me uh, let me tell you that um uh, to say that she had sex with uh, Ukrainian uh, writers um is uh, um a statement that needs to be explained yes please of course. Explain uh, she always she always sought her uh, sexual partners among uh uh precisely the Ukrainian writers and poets and uh and she was uh, very well known for doing that um uh, to the extent that in the unpublished memoirs uh by um um a, a major Ukrainian writer of that time Yuri Smolich, um uh she is mentioned as uh, having tempted uh, dozens of great Ukrainian writers so probably <laughs> Uh, anybody who was um, uh, something um, on the Ukrainian literary horizon uh, was tempted by Ruisa Troyanka. So was she? And, a, and,
0: was she? Was she a uh, what we call a groupie? You know what a groupie? Uh, is? No,
1: no, no. Okay. no. Uh, she had she had short-term um, uh, erotic encounters uh, uh, with uh, with many different people, not at the same time, uh, but. Um, uh she was uh, really uh, very much interested in tempting uh, Ukrainian writers yeah i didn't mean to uh, she but, also
0: i was going to say i didn't she, mean to to, to just to, i'm sorry to interrupt but, uh for those listening closely i didn't mean to uh, insult raisa tryunker or women in general by saying that she might be a groupie so no no emails please i'm sorry i didn't mean anything by that
1: go <laughs> ahead on. <Johanna. laughs> let me uh, let me explain uh the other side of this encounter um uh, She grew up in um, a a Jewish environment. Her father uh, was um, a scholar of Talmud in Uman, um, uh, very well known in in the community. And um, the um, restrictions of traditional Judaism uh, was something that Reza Trianker could not stand. And she rebelled. Her rebellion uh, could have been expressed in different ways. But her rebellion manifested itself precisely in this in in the uh, breaking of uh, the erotic taboos uh, sexual taboos. Uh, she started as um, um, as a 14 year old lover mm. of, uh, uh, of a person who brought a vagabond circus to Uman. Mm. Um. He was um, a tamer of tigers and uh, he was her first uh, erotic partner and Raisa Ran away from uh, her parents to this uh, 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 tamer of tigers, and she spent time uh, working with tigers in the circus. So she was really a person of uh, enormous courage. Uh, uh, and, yes, uh, I should say. Um, and 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 uh, we know that she was uh, uh, featured uh, on the posters uh, that were issued by this uh, vagabond circus. Mm-hmm. So tell tell us a little and, bit about her. Tell us a little bit about her writing uh right um when she um m- 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 moved from uh, from Uman to Kharkiv uh she enrolled in a local uh teachers training institute and started to get published uh she was very close with um a number of avant-garde groups uh there was such a group in Kharkiv a uh, Ukrainian avant-garde group called avant-garde and uh her books uh were um shaped as avant-garde Ukrainian poetry, featuring three major themes. One theme makes you a very unusual character in the Ukrainian uh, literary milieu at the time. She depicted the shtetl, mm-hmm. the shtetl that she abandoned, uh, that she had abandoned, the shtetl... Uh, Uh, which uh, was uh, about traditional Jewish life, um, her uh, imposing parents, um, Judaic tradition, um, uh, Yarmulkes, uh, uh, the Talmud, uh, the the, the Torah learning, and um, the uh, uh, kosher stuff that they had at home all the time. Instead of saying, you know, I'm a member of the Young Communist League and I deny this past, she says... Despite the fact that I'm the member of the Young Communist League, I love this past. Mm-hmm. And this is a very unusual something for a, uh, a 20-year-old um, uh, avant-garde poet. She really infused her poetry, her Ukrainian lyric poetry, with the images of her parents, with the images of the decaying, moribund, Godforsaken forsaken shtetl, and she loves it. She loves this video. She shows that it it is uh, it is it is a very warm um um household where people treat you nicely where you uh, still feel empathy uh toward you whoever you are um so she tells the story of her um visits to uh, her family where she has um an ongoing debate with her father about the future of uh, of the jews about the future of the ukrainians. And her father says, you know, Zion, Palestine, um, religious values. And she says, um, uh, urban milieu, uh, the construction of communism, Ukraine. <laughs> and this debate is very interestingly um, interwoven into a poetic dialogue, which you see in her poetry. So the statue is one of her themes. Another uh, theme is quite obvious since she is part of the uh, futuristic circle um she describes the growing um urban um, uh, the growing urban how to put it better uh society uh in this uh, new industrial cities in eastern ukraine first and foremost kharkiv kharkiv uh, really was um a kind of a new york uh, um of the 1920s with uh um uh skyscrapers with with uh new buildings of uh, um um concrete and 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 glass uh the um avant-garde kind of architecture uh was very visible in Kharkiv at that time so um she describes um the growth of uh Ukrainian industrial cities the third theme uh is uh, um really groundbreaking i believe younger is the first to introduce um, a very warm eroticism into the Ukrainian poetry. Hmm. So she describes her encounters, hmm. her sex with Ukrainian poets in her poetry. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it's, 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 it's funny, but it's also very interesting that for her to become emancipated, to feel herself freed, uh, to feel herself... Uh, part of the uh, greater humanity um, is, uh, um, I would say, I'm looking for a word, uh, is something that requires this encounter with a Ukrainian poet. Mm-hmm. And by encounter, I mean having sex. Mm-hmm. So you have Ukrainian poet, you have Risa Koryankar, and she emancipates your body, um uh, through this encounter, mm-hmm. and, and she also emancipates her poetic ego. So she can become a poet only through uh, having sex with the Ukrainian poet. <laughs> and her having sex with the Ukrainian poet makes her into a free human being, hmm. able to do whatever she wants, able to express herself in wonderful Ukrainian lyrics. Mm-hmm. Now, um, how unusual it is? It is very unusual for the late 1920s. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, she... Um, Writes this two, she publishes these two volumes of um, of uh, Ukrainian books. Then she um, uh, tempted another poet who happened to be uh, Leningrad based and not Kyiv or Kharkiv based, and she travels with him to Leningrad, where she spends four or five years, uh, then he abuses her physically, uh, there was home violence, she runs away from him, she does not want any kind of violence applied to her, so she runs away from him, and he finds herself in Murmansk, mm-hmm. and she spends the last 10 years of her life, she, she, she died in 1945, in Murmansk mm-hmm. as a uh, war journalist, uh-huh. And then in Murmansk, there is another part of her story, which is not a Ukrainian part of her story, because she becomes a Russian-language journalist, and she publishes a book of um, Russian verse, which is, you know, five levels lower than her Ukrainian verse. Mm. But people who knew her in Murmansk were fascinated by her courage. She would go to the front lines. Um, of the um, of the um, uh, North Polar uh, Division uh, of the Soviet troops, and she would recite um, Alexander Bloch, Nikolai Gumilev, Anna Akhmatova, um, Maxim Rilsky, and other Russian and Ukrainian poets to these soldiers sitting in the trenches, in the front line, mm-hmm. under the German fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. And uh, people found it fascinating. We have memoirs uh, of Raisa uh uh, behaving courageously at that particular time, 19, and, the and
0: 1940s. How, and how is she remembered today, very briefly?
1: Um, <clears throat> um, a number of uh, female uh, Ukrainian literary critics uncovered her, published a number of her poems, realized they are dealing with an unusual case, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, there were, afterward, um, a number of scholars who became interested in her, including, you know... Uh, very solid literary scholars in the Ukrainian Academy of Sciences who published an article about her. And just to tell you, last year was 100th anniversary um, of her birthday. Mm-hmm. Uh, in Poltava, uh, uh, the local um, uh, literary historian uh, published a, a book of uh, Triankar's poetry and um, uh, Russian and Ukrainian uh, poetry uh, with his uh, 60-page long uh, preface. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, you cannot get the book anywhere in Ukraine because it was sold, like, in, in two weeks.
0: I see. Okay. Um, so let's move on very quickly to uh, Leonid that and that would be, for those of you who don't uh, know Russian um, or Ukrainian, I suppose, that's uh, Leonid the 1st of May, which
1: probably uh, wasn't right. his
0: given name. <laughs>
1: right. Um, uh, he was born uh, um, Ilya Shlomovich uh, Hurevich, um, Again, we are dealing with the case where a person is born um, uh, to a Russian and Yiddish-speaking family, uh, but decided to integrate the Ukrainian culture in the Ukraine and, and become um, a Ukrainian uh, poet and writer. Um, of the five um, writers and poets that I'm discussing in the book, uh, Leonid Tervomysky uh, really uh, made it to the pantheon of uh, the 20th century <clears throat> Ukrainian literati. He is very much revered. Uh, There are streets uh, named after his name. There are, uh, you know, steamships named after him. Um, There are uh, schools and uh, libraries named after him. So he he he's very well known. Um, um, His um, uh, entire uh, seven-volume collect, uh, collection of writings uh, was published three or four times over the last 30 years. Mm-hmm. So this is not an unknown figure. But, mm-hmm. but the unusual thing about Lenin Provomysky is that in the late 1920s, early 1930s, when he started his career, um, he wanted to become a Ukrainian Isaac Babel. Mm-hmm. And he did not start as a poet. He wrote uh, two or three collections of uh, uh, prose narrative. At least uh, one of them is is a novel, another is a collection of stories, and they are about uh, a Ukrainian-Jewish encounter. They're about Ukrainians and Jews in the shtetls, um, in the small towns of Ukraine, um, before the uh, uh, socialist revolution of 1917 and after that. Uh, he describes the shtetl. He describes the regeneration of Jews who uh, were living in this uh, moribund, uh, god forsaken towns and now uh, in the 1920s are emerging as robust uh, Ukrainian peasants of Jewish origin. Mm-hmm. Um he discusses the transformation of the East European Jews, uh, looking at them against the backdrop of Ukrainization and he makes Jews into Ukrainians in mm-hmm. his in his mm-hmm. prose narrative. Mm-hmm. So what is important in um the nineteen uh, thirties Uh, he was still publishing his uh, plays, very, very popular um, uh, about uh, Jews becoming agricultural dwellers in Ukraine, about the establishment of agricultural colonies in the southern Ukraine, um, about this uh, uh, Jewish-Ukrainian rapprochement, but later he had to abandon this theme once and for all. And uh, the uh uh, and when in in the nineteen sixties he wanted to republish some of his stories that had that that had appeared in the nineteen twenties he uh literally uh transformed them uh into something different erasing all the uh, uh significant references to jewish themes why did he do Just that? Because he wanted to save his prose narrative for republication, He Mm -hmm. wanted these things to be republished. But the censorship did not allow him to have this uh, um, Ukrainian Jewish narratives. Mm -hmm. Uh, So he really rewrote many of his uh, previous stuff to uh, save it for the publication. Mm -hmm. What I did in the book, I recovered his... um, uh, original publications of 1926, 1929, 1932, um, and uh, through them, um, I reconstructed what Pramysky was at that particular time, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and not how he uh, wanted to present himself and -hmm. present his past in the 1960s.
0: So the Pramysky that we know uh, today, or that most Russians would know, it is the I guess uh, sanitized or communized or Stalinized, yes, Pervomaisky. Uh, so, so is it, are his um, original publications, the original versions, going to be published? Are you publishing them, or there, should we uh, should we tattoo them on my back, or what? what show, how do we get them out?
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, certainly, there are things that should be republished. But you know, um, um, the um, grandson of Pervomaisky, who um, who lives now somewhere uh, near Vienna. Um, uh, is in control of the entire archive of Peremyski and he uh, publishes um the uh, original stuff of Peremyski every 2-3 years mm-hmm. so I there see. is somebody who is uh, uh taking care of uh, of the reintroducing Peremyski to us mm-hmm. uh for instance in 2004 they published um he published um a very interesting book of satires uh Peromysky satires um against uh Ukrainian semites against uh the official communist writers and poets um uh, and and they are mind blowing you mm-hmm. you read the satire and you cannot imagine that uh something like that could have been written in let's say 1957 mm-hmm. very sharp mm-hmm. excellent uh, um, heine esque uh, poetry mm-hmm. uh, with, um, uh, with 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 the dialogue between Tervemaisky's uh, alter ego and uh, and his interlocutor, who seems to be um, uh, one of the uh, major anti-Semitic-minded uh, official Ukrainian poets mm-hmm. of, at the time. And you have twenty-five pages of poetry of their dialogue, mm-hmm. uh, and they debate um, who of them really represents Ukraine. Mm -hmm. This, uh, you know, staunch anti-Semite and and, uh, um, ironclad Bolshevik or uh, Kervomyski with his problematic origin and and his dual identity.
0: Mm -hmm. I see. Um, We we are uh, running reasonably short on time, so I want to move on very quickly to talk about um, a fellow who's still alive, I guess, uh, Moisey Fishbrain. Is he still alive? Is that right?
1: Yeah, he's he's still there. Um, He um, traveled a lot. Uh, Moise um is still alive. He is uh, now in Kyiv. Um, he was uh, born in Chernivtsi in uh, Bukovina, uh, the town that remembered uh, the uh, Austro-Hungarian um, uh, Empire as uh, as the utopian times, and that saw itself uh, in the 1950s as as the as the vestige of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. um uh, studied in Novosibirsk. He could not get to any higher educational establishment in in Ukraine. Uh, Then he was found uh, by uh, high-ranking Ukrainian poets, invited to Kiev, spent time in Kiev, integrated uh, himself into the milieu of Ukrainian uh, writers and poets who called themselves um, uh, the poets and writers of the 60s. So this liberal democratic um, Mm -hmm. milieu um, published his first book of poetry, fascinating book of poetry, which shows that he really started as perhaps the only one um, poet in Ukraine with uh, straightforward meta- metaphysic- metaphysical um, concerns. Uh, the person who did not discuss, you know, the construction of, of the new society or, the, or socialism, or you know, the exploration of cosmos, uh, but rather who discusses uh, life and death, black and white, the Holocaust, mm-hmm. the victims, the victimization of culture, the language as as a victim of um, of politics and other things. Uh, he was made. Uh, uh, to emigrate from ukraine he spent some time in israel and he became um 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 uh, a uh, how to say it? Um, he, he became a commentator at uh radio liberty of mm-hmm. europe in munich <clears throat> and oh uh, after the uh uh events of 1991 when ukraine uh finally became an independent country he uh moved back to ukraine oh uh, what is interesting when he was <clears throat> Uh, In the Russian army, um, somewhere near Vladivostok, uh, he um, realized that he is banished from Ukraine, and Ukraine is his um, fatherland, and Ukraine is the center of his uh, universe. Mm -hmm. That is to say, when he was in Israel, he also saw himself as banished from Ukraine, So Israel <laughs> yeah. for him for him and by the way he speaks Hebrew he mm-hmm. knows yiddish he is, uh, he is a person who lights candles over Hanukkah and uh, congratulates you with Passover mm-hmm. so he's really vested he has vested interest in 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 uh, his judaic self but for him To be in Germany or to be in Israel or to be in in the Far East uh, means to be in diaspora. Mm -hmm. When he goes to Ukraine, he goes back. And and, um, um, he is um, one of these rare poets who is constantly pondering the role of the language, and he sees himself as the redeemer of the Ukrainian language. Um, uh, He turns to the Ukrainian language and says, І темрява клубочиться зимово, і душі ним просотує слюта. Горнись до мене, мовенятко, мово, не торкана, гвалтована, свята. So he turns to Ukrainian language and says, Turn to me my language. Uh, he uses uh feminine diminutive when he turns to the Ukrainian language. You are uh, untouched, uh raped and sacred. Um, and he sees himself as a redeemer of this language. He redeems the Ukrainian language from the imposed Russification, from the assimilation, from the loss of uh, um, of its uh, genuine, what he says, genuine Ukrainian identity. And he returns this identity to the language. Uh, this messianic striving of Tishbein makes him a very interesting figure on the Ukrainian horizon. Nobody uh, has ever dared. Uh, to say, you know, I am the redeemer of the Ukrainian language. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Kizhbein does exactly that.
0: I, I want to, um, again, we're, we're kind of running out of time, but I want to take the last few minutes to talk about uh, a more couple of more general issues that I noticed in reading the book and listening to you. Uh, and they're all relatively contemporary and not historical or even poetic, I suppose. But one of the things that uh, you do note in reading the book is that at least four of the people that you deal with um, in becoming Ukrainian literati have to give up or truncate their jewish identities and i'm thinking of um uh, uh mm-hmm. Kulik, Triankar, and Peter they all become something that isn't jewish uh, is it possible today to be a ukrainian nationalist or ukrainian uh writer and actually be an observant jew in the kind of way that uh and americans don't have any problem with this obviously but i, I don't know it probably happens in western europe as well what is the sort of status of um I guess, uh, it's really hard to know what to say here, Uh, Jewish literati in Ukraine writing in Ukrainian.
1: Okay. Uh, Marshall, let me uh, please correct you. I do think that these people um, who you mentioned, uh, they had to um, leave their uh, uh, Jewish uh, self, so to say, behind when they integrated the Ukrainian culture. However... Uh, what makes them very unusual people, and I'm emphasizing this in the book. They are creating a Ukrainian Jewish narrative, mm-hmm. is either prose narrative or or poetry. Uh, they all use Jewish imagery in Ukrainian poetry. They are discussing uh, how to reconcile these two selves. Mm -hmm. And the reconciliation or non-reconciliation becomes a a drama and trauma that they have to grapple with um, in their uh, literary endeavors. Mm -hmm. Um, However, let me get back to the second half of your question. When you're saying... um, uh when you're asking uh, whether it is possible uh to be a, an observant Jew or relatively traditional Jew and still uh supportive of uh, Ukrainian nationalism i say yes absolutely yes and this uh, particular encounter of let's say somebody's uh traditional judaic self and and um Ukrainian national strivings became possible you would be uh surprised to hear where and how it became possible uh, due to the encounter of the Zionists and Ukrainian nationalists arrested for their uh, human rights activities mm-hmm. in the times of Brezhnev, sentenced to different terms, usually seven, eight years of the correction colony, and sent to the correction colonies where they found themselves um, engaged in in a very intensive dialogue. I mean, Uh, particularly Ukrainians, uh, uh, conscience Ukrainians, national-minded Ukrainians, and Jews. Um, And there are uh, very important writings. Uh, There is uh, an entire discourse created by the dialogue uh, and shaped by their dialogue, which is about Ukrainians and Jews discovering themselves as people of uh, different creeds, of different backgrounds, with uh, very different vectors in life. Uh, but they are constantly learning from one another uh, how to create their own national um, historical narrative. Jews from Ukrainians and Ukrainians from Jews. Mm-hmm. Because of this background, which which became uh, quite well known in the uh, 1990s in Ukraine, um it is not impossible uh to see uh, uh, Jews aware of their Jewishness and of the uh, of their you know either Israeli or uh traditional Judaic uh values, uh, uh, finding uh Ukrainian values and Ukrainian national strivings uh, quite commendable. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. How, what what is this this is a kind of a more a broader question. What is it? How many uh, are, uh, how many Jews are there in Ukraine today? I don't even know. There was a massive outflow of Jews from the uh, from from the Russian Federation. Uh, is that true in Ukraine as well?
1: Uh, well, uh look, um, it is difficult to um uh, give precise uh data. Uh I would say uh, between uh 350 and 450,000 Jews uh there are in Ukraine right now.
0: Mm-hmm. I see. I see. And is this uh th- this Tradition of, I guess I'd call it Jewish writing in Ukrainian, is it identified as such and taught in universities and schools? Uh, uh, I know that in the case of someone like Pedro Mysky or Fishbein, uh, you know, these are important poets, but the more obscure, if I can use that word, poets, are they recognized as well?
1: Uh, May I be self-praising? Yes, you may. (laughs) Okay. uh, I usually do that for you, but you go ahead. (laughs) Okay. uh, Marshall, I think um, uh, I am discovering uh, this tradition, Qua tradition. Mm -hmm. There were figures recognized as uh, important Ukrainian Jewish figures. For instance, uh, let me mention um, Yeremia Eisenstock, who is uh, perhaps – the most well-known scholar of Taras Shevchenko of the first half of the 20th century. Um, uh, there were other people recognized as important uh, Jewish contributors to Ukrainian culture. For instance, if you go to Kiev and uh, you, uh, you are on the subway, you will hear the, this uh, famous song, um, How Can I Not Love You, My Kiev? This song was written by um, a Ukrainian composer, Igor Shamo, who is Jewish? Mm-hmm. So people would recognize that there are important Jews who contributed to the Ukrainian culture, mm-hmm. but nobody was ever talking about. Uh, nobody has ever been talking about the tradition, about the discourse, about the something that we can trace down from the 1880s till the 1990s, and 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 see these people as being in contact with one another either genetically or genealogically, were through the prison of cultural genealogy. Mm-hmm. So they are aware of one another. Mm-hmm. Just to give you one, uh, one example, Kulik found pervomaisky and uh, gave, gave him a push at the beginning of his literary career. Uh, Pervomaysky when he was uh, already uh, uh, a, a, a renowned poet, uh, welcomed Fishbane mm-hmm. and blessed him. Mm-hmm. So, you do have this kind of of an encounter of people of different generations who see themselves as continuing one and the same line i don 't care if we are if we have you know ten people in this um tradition, but they are important mm-hmm. now. Why I'm, ta- why I'm telling you this story, um, it's a preface to a very important, to a very simple point. No, this tradition, qua tradition, is not taught because I have just discovered it. My book is being translated. <laughs> um, okay, um, I'm not asking for, for a a surprise, Marshall.
0: Yeah, so your tra- uh, the book's being translated.
1: Uh, my book is being translated um, into Ukrainian right now. Um, um, uh, Harvard University and, and Kritika publishers will publish the book probably at the end of this year, beginning of the next year. And um, we'll live happily ever after. We'll see what will be the, the response of, of uh, the Ukrainian um, uh, critics, uh, well, pistol. I'm
0: sure it'll be very positive. I can already, I can already, um, I, I can predict that. I'm, I'm happy to predict that. Now, let me, um, we've taken up a huge amount of your time, and I really want to thank you. It's always enjoyable to talk to you. Let me ask our traditional final question on this 100th episode of New Books in History, and that is, uh, Johan, what are you working on now?
1: Uh, Marshall, I just um, uh, sent the proofs uh, to Yale University Press. Uh, Yale is publishing uh, my new book, which is called Lenin's Jewish Question, Um, It's about uh, how uh, Lenin treated uh, uh, the Bolsheviks of Jewish descent and it's about um, uh, Lenin's uh, maternal great-grandfather whose name was Moshka Blank and who was born uh, Jewish um, in uh, the uh, small shtetl called Stato Konstantinov um, in the Pale of Settlement. Um, uh, Once I see this book... um, um, Published, uh, I will get to uh, my new book project, uh, which is entitled, um, tentatively entitled, Shtetl as it was. Uh, or shtetl as it really was, uh, where I'm trying to recover the material culture of the late 18th, early 19th century um, uh, Jewish uh, uh, market town uh, in the Pale of Settlement.
0: Well, that's terrific, and um, I look forward to talking to you about uh, the Lenin book and the book about the shtetl. I really do, and I want to thank you very much for being on the show. uh, As I said, I always enjoy talking to you, and I really appreciate it.
1: Marshall, uh, honored and and pleased. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: You've been listening to an interview with Johann Petrovsky Stern about his new book, The Anti Imperial Choice The Making of the Ukrainian Jew. I'm Marshall Poe, the host of New Books in History. I hope you have a great week.